study of the Psalms brings us to Psalm 4 this morning. Please find Psalm 4 in your Bibles, or maybe in the ESV journal that we provided for you. Let's read Psalm 4. To the choir master with stringed instruments, a psalm of David. Answer me when I call, O God of my righteousness. You have given me relief when I was in distress. Be gracious to me and hear my prayer. O men, how long shall my honor be turned into shame? How long will you love vain words and seek after lies? Selah. But know that the Lord has set apart the godly for himself. The Lord hears when I call to him. Be angry and do not sin. Ponder in your own hearts on your beds and be silent. Selah. Offer right sacrifices and put your trust in the Lord. There are many who say, who will show us some good? Lift up the light of your face upon us, O Lord. You have put more joy in my heart than they have when their grain and wine abound. In peace, I will both lie down and sleep. For you alone, O Lord, make me dwell in safety. This is God's word. King David was in distress. Verse 1, do you see the words? He was in distress. The original language, the word distress is very visual. It means to be hard-pressed, like grapes being crushed in a wine press. Look at how this psalm describes what he's experiencing. Look there in your Bibles, verse 2. King David is experiencing public shame and humiliation. At the end of verse 2, some people are spreading lies about him and others are believing them. Do you see that? Look at verse 4. His followers are angry and wanting to lash out. Verse 6, his followers are frustrating and, and, and wondering who's going to deliver them. When, when are we going to catch a break? Verse 8. His life is in danger. You know, it's possible that this has the same historical context as Psalm 3 that we studied last week. In Psalm 3, King David was fleeing from his enemy, who was his son, Absalom. Imagine that. The description of everything that's happening in this psalm fits that occasion, and the position of it right after Psalm 3 would indicate that it's a possibility. You remember from last week that King David's son, Absalom, was bitter against his father, and he turned the country against him, and Absalom led an insurrection against his father, forcing King David to flee into the wilderness for exile. And you'll remember, 2 Samuel tells the story about David leaving Jerusalem. King, glorious, 
David leaving Jerusalem, and it says, he went up the ascent of the Mount of Olives, weeping as he went, barefoot and with his head covered. What a somber and grievous scene. But we have to acknowledge that this psalm is not linked to that particular occasion like Psalm 3 was. There is no indication in this psalm that it is specifically about that experience of distress in the life of the king. It could just as easily be about any number of terrible things that the king went through. But here's what is significant. The inscription, historical and inspired, the inscription of Psalm 1 tells us that King David wrote this psalm as a song to be sung with stringed instruments by all of God's people when they are dealing with any kind of distress. This is a song for all of God's people dealing with any kind of distress. Do you see the inscription to the choir master? Here's a new song for the choir and the congregation to sing. Sing it with stringed instruments. This is a psalm of David. So let me ask you this morning, are you in distress? It would be really helpful for the rest of this sermon for you to consider that personally, because Psalm 4 is written and meant for you personally. Do you feel hard pressed and squeezed by life right now? Does sin wage war on your soul? Do you hear the voice of the enemy condemning you before God? Is death threatening your life? Have people rejected you or treated you unjustly? Is there trouble in your circumstances? Is there trouble in your marriage, in your family, in your job, in your finances? And the list could go on and on. The question is, are you in distress today? And what do you do when you're in distress? How do you handle it? Psalm 4 reveals our hearts. As we go through this, we're going to find out that when we experience distress, we're not just struggling against that particular thing, but there's a host of other things going on. When we experience distress, we're, we're actually struggling against lies in verse 2 and 3. We are struggling in verse 4 and 5 against our sinful response to that distress. Been there, done that. In verse 6 and 7, we often struggle with discouragement in distress. And finally, in verse 8, it would be very human of us to experience fear. 
all of those lies, sinful responses, discouragement and fear, they're all destructive. I appreciated what Derek Kidner noted about this psalm. If you look there in verse 8, Kidner explains that the setting of this psalm is at night. Do you see that in verse 8? It's when he's lying down to sleep. (laughs) And Kidner says the approach of night with its temptations to brew on past wrongs and present perils challenges David to make his faith explicit and to commit himself to the faithful creator. Isn't it true that it's at night that we really struggle in times of distress? Psalm 4 teaches us how to deal with distress. My prayer this morning is that you'll find peace in the midst of your distress. As we read the psalm, maybe you recognize that there's four different characters in this psalm. First of all, there's King David. That's one. Two, on one side, there are his foes. And then on the other side, there are his followers. And then above him and above all is his God. The structure of the psalm is pretty straightforward if you spend some time with it. Verse 1, David speaks to his God. Verse 2 and 3, David speaks to his foes. Verse 4 and 5, David speaks to either his foes or his followers or both. Frankly, we're not sure. Verse 6 and 7, he speaks to his followers. And then finally, in verse 8, the song resolves and David finds peace, real, sweet, restful peace in the Lord. That's what I want for you, friends. I want this psalm to resolve in peace for your souls, even in the midst of not just after distress. I have to make note that there's a lot of speaking going on in this psalm. He's speaking to God. He's speaking to his foes. He's speaking to his followers. He's speaking to himself. There's a lot of speaking going on in this psalm, and that's because one of the great difficulties in life comes when we listen to unhelpful things that are being said by ourselves or by others rather than speaking truth. And so as many have said, don't listen to yourself. Preach to yourself. Preach the gospel to yourself every day and in every distress. And that's what we plan to do this morning. And the gospel is the best application of Psalm 4 for us today. The gospel is that the greater King Jesus, the the greater King of Israel, King Jesus, fulfilled all of this as he endured the distress of his cross so that we could experience peace in our distress. 
Psalm 4 teaches us how to deal with distress. Number one. I want you to notice in verse one that King David prayed for God's help. King David prayed for God's help. Look again at verse one. Answer me when I call, O God of my righteousness. You have given me relief when I was in distress. Be gracious to me and what are the next three words? Hear my prayer. King David may be in the wilderness, but friends, he was not alone. (laughs) And neither are you. Call out to God. He's there. Pray to God for grace and help in your time of need. Regardless of the distress that you're feeling, prayer is the first and best response. David calls out to God here in verse 1. Basically, he's saying, please answer me. Why? It's because in times of distress, sometimes heaven feels like brass. David calls out very specifically, O God of my righteousness. Do you see that? O God, God who knows what is right. God who will make a right judgment in the end. And this is important because that's a prayer of faith. Remember, David is being lied about and slandered and shamed publicly. And they're all what? They're lies But God knows what's right, and God will vindicate him in the end. So in the face of those lies, David calls on God rather than taking it into his own hands. He prays at the beginning of verse 1. Look in the middle of verse 1. He praises the Lord. Did you see the change of verb tense? Answer me, present tense. You have given me relief when I was, past tense, in distress. What fuels present prayer are past answers to prayer and past experiences of God's relief in times of distress. So here... David prays and he praises. And then he prays again. What a great formula for us in our times of distress. Pray and praise God for the times that he's delivered you. And let that fuel, that final, be gracious to me and hear my prayer. David prays finally for grace, the sheer sheer, unmerited, undeserved goodness of God to his people. Here's the gospel, friends. The gospel from Hebrews chapter 10. Our King Jesus is the God of our righteousness who endured the distress of the cross to open the way so that we can pray in the midst of of our distress. Prayer is the special privilege of God's people. 
And it is through the gospel of Jesus that we become God's people and receive the privilege and power of prayer. David prayed. This prayer of David is called a psalm of lament. It's a prayer in agony. You can feel the distress here, can't you? And it teaches us that we can pray in our distress. Prayers of lament are an important part of the Christian life. Don't negate the feelings, the difficulty that you're experiencing. Don't brush it under the rug and act like it's not happening. No, it's real. In fact, God has ordained it to work good in us. He wants us to come to him, friends. Prayers of lament are an important part of the Christian's life. We will learn that many times, probably half of the times, as we go through the Psalms. One of our members reminded me this week of an excellent book called Dark Clouds, Deep Mercy. If you haven't read it, I would encourage you to get a copy of it, Dark Clouds, Deep Mercy. The author says, lament is a prayer in pain that leads to trust. It's how you live between the poles of a hard life and trusting in God's sovereignty. Prayerful lament is better than silence. Don't just tough it out. Pray it out. Because of the gospel of King Jesus, we have this invitation. Hebrews chapter 4, let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace that we may receive mercy and find help in time of need. Are you in distress today? Pray for God's help. Number two. In verse 2 and 3, we learn that King David knew his identity was determined by God's covenant grace. Part of the distress that he's experiencing in verse 2 is that the king's honor is being turned into public shame. Do you see that in verse 2? Because of the vain words and the lies that are being spread about him, maybe by those who are loyal to Absalom, maybe this is just another occasion where everybody's beaten up on the king, I don't know, but they are lies being spread and believed about him. And they're, they're lies by men. Now, that word men does not mean only males were involved. That is a word that indicates the wealthy class. Oh, you mighty men, you, those of you who are wealthy and powerful, they're assaulting his identity. They no longer believe that King David is God's anointed. And so I want you to notice what David says to them. Verse 2 and 3. O oh men, how long shall my honor be turned into shame? How long will you love vain words and seek after lies? Selah. But know. But know that the Lord has set apart the godly for himself. The Lord hears when I call to him. 
Do you hear that confidence? In the middle of distress, David has a confidence about who he is, and it doesn't come from popular opinion. It doesn't come from what other people think about him. David knew that his identity, his worth, his purpose in life was determined by God's covenant grace. God made a covenant with David. God called David to himself. And that is David's identity. Notice in verse 3, no. Know that the Lord has set apart the godly for himself. The godly are those who belong to God, not those who have become godly enough. I'm glad about that, aren't you? The godly are what? Set apart. They are marked out and made God's own for his own possession. The Bible speaks this way of the entire nation of Israel, that God made them his treasured possession. David was his choice of king, his treasured possession. And God doesn't just set the godly apart for purposes. Why does God set the godly apart? Look in verse 3. For what? himself. Isn't that beautiful? God's choices are personal and driven by his own pleasure. (laughs) Spurgeon says, when God chooses a man, he chooses him for himself to communicate himself to as a friend, a companion, and his delight. In verse 3, David is the godly that the Lord has set apart for himself through covenant. Public opinion might be swayed, but God's opinion will never change. Friends, that's the gospel for us too. Here's the gospel from 1 Peter chapter 1. 1 Peter 1 affirms this about all of God's people. Our King Jesus is the godly one with all glory in heaven and earth who endured the distress of the cross in order to set us apart for himself in the new covenant as his chosen people, a people for his own treasured possession. Friends, he calls us his bride. That's you that he's talking about. His bride. King David knew his identity was determined by God's covenant grace, not anything in himself. And in the midst of distress, we're often confronted by lies and by shame. And those lies and shame can come from other people. But I'll tell you where they mostly come from, from me. It's from me. It's me telling myself lies. Me reminding myself of all the shame. Don't listen to yourself, friends. 
Preach to yourself. Preach the gospel of Psalm 4 to yourself. Lies that say you're a phony. You're a fraud. You don't belong to God. God has forsaken you. If God loved you, you wouldn't be going through this distress. All lies. Our confidence before God is his choice of us, his covenant with us. Ephesians chapter 1 says God has chosen us in Christ when? After we proved ourselves to be lovely? No, God chose us in Christ before Not just before you were born, that's far too short of a history. Before the foundation of the world, God set his love on you. Spurgeon says, the fact is, the godly are the chosen of God and are, by distinguishing grace, set apart and separated from among men. Election is a glorious and well-attested truth and one which should comfort the tempted believer. Election is the guarantee of complete salvation and an argument for success at the throne of grace. He who chose us for himself will surely hear our prayers. Listen, friends, when you are confronted by lies and shame, you can know that you have been set apart by covenant grace. Number three, in the middle of this distress, King David called for repentance and obedience to God's word. Who's he talking to? Well, honestly, I I think it can go either way. He's either talking to his foes or he's talking to his followers. He might be talking to himself. I'm not sure which. In fact, no one is. The most logical conclusion is that it fits up under what he's saying to the foes in verse 2 and 3, because, O men, how long will you? And then look in verse 4, in your own hearts. And he hasn't brought any other subjects in there that could be part of that pronoun. So I take it as his foes, but the fact is, They're not the ones who are angry. His followers are, and maybe he is. You know why? Because that's what happens to us in the middle of distress. Somebody comes at us, what do we do? We want to, we're going right back at them. All of our passion wells up. Our our flesh gets involved, and we we can sin in response. And so David, in the middle of distress, calls for repentance and obedience to God's word. Read verse four and five. Be angry and do not sin. Ponder on your own hearts. Pardon me. Ponder in your own hearts on your beds and be silent. Selah. Offer right sacrifices and put your trust in the Lord. What response is he calling for? It's simple. Verse 4, 
repentance. Verse 5, obedience, faith. That's the response of the gospel, isn't it? Repent and believe. That's not just for first-time salvation, friends. That's an exercise of every single day. And I suggest I don't just need it every day. I need it all day, every day. Christianity is a lifestyle of perpetual repentance and perpetual faith. And that repentance and that faith is the fruit of the Spirit of God at work in your hearts. So David says he calls for repentance and obedience, faith in God's word. Look at verse 4. Be angry and do not sin. You've heard that before in Ephesians chapter 4, right? That means that there is an anger that is acceptable, but it can easily slip into what? Sin. So in other words, sometimes we cannot help our initial response, but don't let it become sin. You might be angry in a righteous way like Jesus, but unfortunately, most of the time, my anger is not righteous, it's unrighteous. The, the, the thing here, the, the exhortation here is, I know you're full of passions. Keep them in check. Don't sin. Number two, ponder in your own hearts upon your bed and be silent. Now that sounds like it's talking to the foes, doesn't it? You guys need to go think about what you're doing here. You're criticizing and assaulting the king. You need to go think about this at night, and you need to repent and be silent. But it could also be to David's followers who are engaged in this holy war of words back and forth with those foes. I don't know. The point is there's a way to respond and there's a way not to respond. And unfortunately, our natural proclivity is to respond in the wrong way. (laughs) Why is it that everything that comes naturally is wrong? Even my golf swing. Right, Gary? Yeah. Wouldn't it be great if your natural proclivity just was right? But it's not. Why? Because we have a father. His name is Adam, and he took us into sin. We're sinners to the core. And by God's grace, he's changing us. Gave us new hearts, made us new people, and that is working out of us. And so no longer at the deepest level are we sinners. We're now saints, but we're being made into the image of Christ. So our responses are progressively becoming more Christ-like. David calls for repentance and obedience in God's word. Ponder in your own hearts upon your bed. William Plummer says, Evening, evening especially invites us to deal honestly with ourselves. Silence reigns. The world is absent. Sleep summons us to think of eternal things. Two exhortations to repentance, and then in verse 5, two exhortations to faith or obedience. Look at verse 5, offer right sacrifices. What does that mean, right sacrifices? Are there wrong sacrifices? Yes. 
A, a right sacrifice is not only something that is due and something that is right, but it's something offered in the right frame of mind in humility with godly fear, not merely an outward religious duty that checks the box. What is right is always defined by God's word. And so David's saying here, along with others, it's better to obey God than to sacrifice. You can imagine that the masses of Israel were still going and sacrificing, and yet they were opposing God's king. And he says, you need to go home and think about this, repent, and then make right sacrifices. And verse 5, put your trust in the Lord. Put your trust, not in yourselves, but in the Lord. And when we trust the Lord, William Plummer says, we look with an eye of faith farther than when we can see with the eye of our senses. Here's the gospel, friends. Isaiah chapter 53 verse 7 explains that when our King Jesus endured the distress of the cross, he was tempted in every way, just like we are, and yet he didn't sin. He responded rightly. He was silent like a lamb being led to the slaughter. And why was he silent? So that he could offer himself as a right sacrifice for us. Friends, we'll put our trust in him. So when you are tempted to respond in sin, anytime you're tempted to respond in sin, we can get alone with God, whether during the day or at night. And we can repent. And here's the great truth. The spirit of Christ that indwells us will give us the power to obey God's word. Trusting is ultimately doing what God wants me to do in this situation rather than what my natural passions want to do. King David called for repentance and obedience to God's word. I like what Spurgeon said enough to take a moment to read it. He says, go to your bed and think upon your ways. Ask counsel of your pillow. And let the quiet attitude of the night instruct thee. Let reason speak. Let the clamor of the world be still for a while. And let your poor soul, soul plead with God in the midst of distress so that you too might obey. King David prayed for God's help. He knew his identity was determined by God's covenant grace. He called for repentance and obedience to God's word. And number four, in verse six and seven, we see that King David found joy in God's presence. You see that? Verse six and seven. Distress is still going on. 
If this is Absalom, he's still in the wilderness. He's still in exile. If it's some other time, things are still raging. Finances are still low. It's still a dark day. But King David found joy in the presence of God. Read verse 6 and 7. David says about his followers, I believe, there are many who say, who will show us some good? Then look, he prays. Lift up the light of your face upon us, O Lord. And then he testifies, verse 7. You, O Lord, have put more joy in my heart than they have when their grain and wine abound. If there is nothing else that resonates about this particular psalm with you, it is this thing that has resonated with me this week. Distress can easily steal our joy. The stress I feel when I'm preparing a sermon steals my joy. My joy is so weak and fragile. I'm like the many. In verse 6, of King David's followers who have become discouraged and are wondering if anyone's able to deliver them from this distress. When am I going to catch a break? Can anybody come and help me here? In verse 7, here's David's testimony back to them and back to us. It is extraordinary. In the midst of distress, mind you, David says the Lord has put more joy in my heart than my enemies have when their barns are full and their wine is flowing. David's joy did not depend on good circumstances. David's joy continued despite distress. Where did David find his joy? Verse 6b, look at it. Verse 6, in the light of the Lord's face. Lift up the light of your face upon us, O Lord. To lift up your face or to, for someone to lift up their face like a king or God in this particular case is to express kindness and blessing on you when you're in your in their presence so you have to be in their presence to be in the light of their face and when the face is lifted up then there is an expression of favor toward the person this is in reference to god's presence with his people if god were to hide his face then he would withdraw his favor but the open Shining light of the face is God's blessing. And David found joy in God's presence. Listen to his testimony in Psalm 84. A day in your courts is better than a thousand anywhere else. I would rather be a doorkeeper in the house of my God than dwell in the tents of wickedness. Here in the midst of his distress... In the wilderness, possibly, King David prayed the high priestly prayer 
of God's people from Numbers chapter 6. Do you hear echoes of that prayer? It was the priests who used to raise their arms and pray this over God's people. The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you. Does anybody know the last word? Peace. Where does that come from, friend? It's our nature to be happy and content when fill in the blank is going well. It's our nature to be happy when life is good, the kids are healthy, stress is low, and grades are up, and the sun is out. But Psalm 4 teaches us that we can have real joy in the midst of distress. When our joy comes from being filled with the realities of the Lord rather than the realities of our distress. There are greater realities going on than what you're experiencing today. Here's the gospel from Hebrews chapter 12. The writer of Hebrews encourages us Look to King Jesus, who for the joy that was set before him endured the distress of the cross so that his joy could be in us and our joy can be full. How can we actually experience deep soul-level joy, even when our family is falling apart. By being in the presence of Christ. Friends, that means you have to be in the presence of Christ. That means you have to go there. And we abide with Christ through his word and through prayer. And your testimony might be, Well, when I'm experiencing difficulty, I don't experience the peace of God. Maybe that's because you're not in the presence of God. Maybe that's because you're busy, stressed out about what's going on, and you don't take time to be in the presence of Christ, where Jesus promises, my spirit will fill you with joy when you meditate on me. King David found joy in God's presence. And Christian friend, you can too. Finally. In verse 8, the psalm resolves. Song comes to a close with its final refrain. King David rested in God's care. In peace, I will both lie down and sleep. For you alone, O Lord, make me dwell in safety. His threat was physical. 
ours might be spiritual. His threat, his peace here is physical sleep. For some of us, it's exactly what we need because that's exactly what we don't do when we're in distress. But it could also be spiritual rest, right? In peace, David says. David confidently declares, I'm at peace. He's on the run, friends. He's being publicly shamed. Whether this is Absalom or someone else, his life is threatened. His shame, his glory has turned to shame. This is a bad stuff going on if you're the king of Israel. He's at peace. Why? Because you alone, O Lord. Now, he's got mighty men all around him. David could sleep just because of his mighty men. That's not who he's putting his trust in. You alone, O Lord, make me dwell in safety. I'm at peace. I can sleep because you alone are watching over my soul. David feels safe leaving his life, his kingdom, his reputation, his job, his family, his future in his father's care. Do you? Here's the gospel. Our greater King Jesus did not experience this safety. In the moment of his greatest distress, here's the gospel. King Jesus was forsaken by his father to endure the distress of the cross alone so that, so that, our souls will be safe forever in his care. Therefore, Philippians chapter 4 says what Zach read earlier. We don't have to be anxious about anything, but the peace of God which surpasses all understanding will guard our hearts and our minds in Christ. So friends, when you feel anxiety and fear, Christian, you can rest in trusting your soul and yourself to God's care. Here's the encouragement of Psalm 4. We can pray for God's help. We can know that we have been set apart by God's covenant grace. We can repent and obey God's word. We can find our joy in God's presence. We can rest in trusting our souls and ourselves to God's care because King Jesus endured the distress of his cross. For us. He is our peace. Let's pray together. My prayer was first spoken by Charles Spurgeon. 
it's nonetheless sincere. O Lord, give us this calm rest in thee, that like David, we may lie down in peace and sleep each night while we live, and then joyfully may we lie down in the appointed season to sleep in death, to rest in God. Amen and amen.